Welcome. And first question, who is the negotiator in your family and how does that person do it? In my family, that would be me, but well before I was considered a so-called expert in the field, I was already naturally wired with certain characteristics that, as it turned out, made me an effective negotiator. Mainly, I like people. I am genuinely curious about them, their life stories, where they've been, what their interests are, what makes them tick. The sincerity of that curiosity comes through and not only forms bonds, but contributes to information gathering. I was also pretty good at truly listening and demonstrating that I had listened and asking additional questions. Other skills I've studied and practiced over the years to compile my negotiation toolkit. By contrast, other people may have been wired with traits I had to consciously study, and vice versa, they had to learn and practice those that came more naturally to me. So I encourage you to think of that negotiator in your own family and what attributes make them so good at it. You don't need to be like them. You can be like you. And we will talk more about that in a later episode on mode and style, but it's a useful thought exercise. Negotiation is everywhere, every day. Whenever you want something from someone else, you negotiate. Generally, we can categorize negotiation into two types, deal-making, and dispute resolution. We negotiate who does the dishes, setting vacation time, a four-way stop sign, a consumer complaint, and who here has kids. I rest my case. The first lesson in everyday negotiation will start where I started all my law students while teaching at UC Hastings College for the Law and UC Berkeley Law. And I do wish to credit my mentor, Anita Christine Knowlton, the founding director of the Center for Negotiation and Dispute Resolution at UC Hastings, as the original designer of the curriculum we faculty members taught there. And it all started with chocolate and arm wrestling. Yes, you heard that correctly. Allow me to elaborate. I would pass out 10 Hershey's Kisses to each pair of students who were all seated in a U-shaped table in a seminar room. I instructed them that, for the purposes of this exercise, they should assume that chocolate and the attainment of it was very important in their life. I would instruct the students to pair off with whomever was sitting next to them and to get into arm wrestling position to determine how to divide up the chocolates between them. And then I'd say, go. Admittedly, the response I typically received was nervous laughter, blank stares, and incredulity. And invariably, we would have a student pairing consisting of an individual twice the physical prowess of the other. I would stand back and watch what unfolded. Note, I never actually commanded them to arm wrestle. I merely told them to get into arm wrestling position. After a couple of minutes, I would announce, stop, usually much to their relief. That's when I would say, Let's debrief round one. Oh, that was just round one. Hmm. What might round two look like? And what could transpire between the pairings of disparate size where the student twice the BMI claimed all the chocolates? Debriefing round one. How many just conceded to their partner and why? When might this actually be appropriate in a negotiation? How many didn't feel like arm wrestling and just split them up? And what happened there? Did they simply split them evenly, five and five? Or was there some other basis for division through discussion and discovery? 
We've talked about whether building a relationship mattered and being mindful of future negotiations. This was, after all, the first class of the semester. We talked about just wanting to win. And then we started round two. I told half the room to mutually decide on a division room. And for the other half of the room, I picked one student in the pairing to impose a division offer on a take it or leave it basis to their partner. No counter offers allowed. Again, I announced go, followed by observation and followed by a debrief of round two, at which point they did start to wonder how many more rounds and variations there would be. We talked about exchanging information to learn about each other's real interests and how many students did this. What did students or other people think about having leverage, that is being the one in charge of imposing a division rule, which could have been an offer of only giving the partner one chocolate and keeping nine for themselves, and not using that leverage? If the leverage was used, who on the receiving end of the offer rejected it on principle because it was unfair or insulting? And did that person lose sight of their goal? I had told them that chocolate and the attainment of it was very important. This is an example of zero-sum negotiation with limited or finite resources at stake. And then for round three, I told half the students they would lose two chocolates per minute of not reaching a deal, and the other half they would lose one chocolate per minute. And again, the debrief. What were some other real-life examples of asymmetry in time or economics, or in emotional stakes, access to information, experience, other resources? The themes that emerged from the chocolate negotiations were basic. Reciprocity principle. If you make a gesture to someone else, the natural psychological response is for them to return it in kind or even disproportionately. Leverage. Power. The difference between the two. Cooperation versus competition. Asymmetry. Finally, I left them to ponder the following hypothetical. The chocolate baron and the chocolate popper. Consider a chocolate popper and a chocolate baron who are taking a walk in the woods together when they come across a huge stash of chocolate. How might those players divide the chocolates between them? And what might the considerations be in that negotiation? What does fairness mean? Now, that is a loaded question still, and maybe especially these days. Perhaps we need an episode down the road dedicated just to that discussion. I'm Lucia Cantor St. Amour of Pactum Factum, which is Latin for a done deal. You can find me here on Substack and on pactumfactum.com. <laughs>